We'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews. We just finished, really, the Sermon on the Mount, which is that long teaching time, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we continue this morning. We, we, we saw Jesus basically with his platform, and now we're going to see his power. And that's what we're actually seeing. We're moving from the platform of the King, which is the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of what he taught, to the power of the King, which is his power over disease and nature and demons and, and even death. And so we remember that Jesus... Jesus, uh, Matthew presents Jesus as the king. And as we see him, we see his compassion. We see his power. We see he touches the multitudes. And we realize that Christ not only takes our sin and our sorrow, but he gives us hope for the future as well. And we begin to see this as we see Jesus, who not only is able to do things, to heal things physically, but spiritually as well. One of my favorite books is the book Ben-Hur. It's really Judah Ben-Hur is the name of the book. And the subtitle is The Story of the Christ. I didn't know that when I first saw the book because I'd only seen a movie and it was about this guy racing the chariots and everything. So I thought, well, I'll read that book. It'll be good. I didn't realize it was a book about Jesus Christ because that's the story. It's the story of Judah Ben-Hur. Judah Ben-Hur is a Jewish person who is wealthy. Something happens to him. He becomes a slave. Then he gets bought back and becomes wealthy again. And in the story, his mother gets leprosy. And, and I remember reading that story, and I was thinking, oh, this is a story. I know it's a story that a guy named Lou Wallace wrote. But I said, you know, if we could just get his mother to Jesus, she'd get healed, you know. And in and, and, and the story, book, she does. And, and then I thought about it. I said, that's a story, but that's real. Because when Jesus was on the earth, there were people who had leprosy. There were people who got sick, and he healed them. In fact, in our story this morning, in our passage this morning, Jesus heals a leper. And we want to see it, how special it is. And so as we think about this, Jesus, Jesus can heal physically. He can heal physically now. He can do anything he wants to do. But what he really does is he takes care of us spiritually because we're dead in trespasses and sins. We come into this world. We're fallen people, and Jesus Christ saves us. He died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death, and he gives us eternal life as a gift. And so some great things. Let me just show you where we are. Uh, we're looking at the background. If, you, if you've got this card, when we first started the study, and we've got them out there, so if you don't have one now, when we first started the study, we gave you out a card. On one side, it tells you all about the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And then on the other side, it gives you the outline. And we're now to the section number three, which is the power of the king revealed. And this is going to be basically chapters eight through ten, and we'll see how it fits together. And so we've seen the background of the book. We saw the platform of the king, which is Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and now we're seeing the power of the king. And I want to remind you of something. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it said this, And Jesus was going throughout all Galilee. It was a summary statement. Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The big three things, the teaching, the preaching, and the healing. And what we realize in chapter 4, we saw him preaching. In chapters 5, 6, and 7, we saw him teaching. And now in chapters 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see him healing. And so in what we're going to be in the next two or three weeks, of course, chapters 8, 9, and 10, we'll see the power of the king. Now, let me just show you something. This is what's amazing. There's three big groups that we're going to look at. This is this morning, Matthew 8, 1 through 17. We see Jesus heal a leper, and he heals a servant. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and, and we see many others. Then after that, we're going to see another group in chapter 8, 23 through 9, 8. He calms a storm. He casts out demons. He heals a, a paralyzed man. And then the third group is going to be in Matthew 9, 18 through 38, where he heals the, uh, the ruler's daughter and the woman with the issue of blood and two blind men 
and man, demon possessed, and so many others. And so what we're going to see in these next three to four to five lessons is Jesus is showing his power. See, remember, Matthew presents and shows that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And we've seen the platform of the king, and now we're going to see the power of the king. And it's, it's so amazing. As you remember, when he ended, if you look back at Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 28. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, it was the Sermon on the Mount, the long teaching that we've been seeing. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And so when he got through, the people were amazed and because he spoke with authority because no man spoke like that. He actually taught and he, he, he's the Word of God who taught the Word of God. So as we look at this next passage, he now comes down off that hill and, and, and begins to do some things. And he's been teaching, now he's going to begin to do. And this is where I like to break it up. In first verse 1 through 4, we're going to see he touches a leper, and then the faith of a soldier, and then Peter's mother-in-law, and then many others. And we'll talk about what happened there. So let's start. And, and, and by the way, you're going to see the response. When Jesus heals people, the respond, they responded in obedience and service. Now think about this. He's healed us. Not necessarily a physical healing, but he's healed us spiritually. What's our response? It is to be obedient, to do what he wants us to do, and to serve him and to live for him. So let's see it. Let's see what happens. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And as he, if you go back to chapter 4, when we, before we got into this, when he, it says these large crowds were following him wherever he went. In fact, chapter 4, verse 25, before he starts the Sermon on the Mount, he says, large crowds followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from the Jordan. So now when he comes down off of the mountain, once again, the crowds are following him. They, they're just going to go wherever he goes. Now, think about it. If you were there, would you like to see him? Would you like, if somebody was telling you that there's this, there's this rabbi, and he's got these disciples, and he's going around, and he's doing all kind of things. They, some people even say he does miracles. Some people say he's fed people. Uh, he's done all kind of things, and his teaching is different than anybody else who's ever heard because he actually teaches as one of authority. Would you want to go hear that? You would. You would say, well, let me get in the big crowd. You're in the big crowd, and you say, I, I hope I can see him. I want to see him. And, and maybe you actually were on the side of that hill listening to him teach. And now he's come down. He's come down from the mountain, and the large crowds continue to follow him. And notice what happens. A leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, a leper. When we think about leprosy, I mean, you know, we see things like over... I have some pastors that I... Skype with once a month, and they're in India, and they're in southern India. And Pastor Jacob basically has an orphanage, and he has 28 tribal pastors. He calls them tribal pastors because they go out into places where cars can't even go, and, and he oversees all that. There's leprosy. There's still leprosy there. There's leper colonies. When people think about leprosy, they go, what is exactly? Well, it's this disease that affects you, and you, like your fingers and your nose. I mean, it just, things fall off. I mean, your skin, you just rot it, and they took rags, and they wipe around, and then they take them off your skin. Just go, I mean, it's just a terrible disease. And so here's this guy with leprosy. Now, let me tell you, at that time, leprosy, you, you were declared unclean. If somebody saw, if you got leprosy, they'd go, wait a minute, whoa, 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 you can't get close to us. In fact, the, rat, the religious leaders had a rule that you could not be six feet. You couldn't get within six feet of any person because the wind might blow and somehow blow this leprosy on somebody else. And so they said, you can't hug somebody, you can't talk to somebody in that sense, you can't be around anybody, uh, you've got leprosy. 
I remember reading something that J. Vernon McGee wrote years ago. I want you to listen to this. He's talking about what would it be like to have leprosy. He said this. He says, imagine one day that this, this man was, was out uh, plowing, and then he had something break out on his hand, and, and he came in and showed his wife, and she put some ointment on it. But it went on for a week, and it didn't go away, and so they began to get uneasy. And so when, in those days, if you got leprosy, you had to go to the priest. And so you went to the priest, and you said, priest, what do you think this is? And the priest went... Well, that doesn't look good. So they would quarantine them, isolate them for two weeks for 14 days. And then after the 14 days, they checked it again. And if it continued to spread, they would say, you have leprosy. And if you said, well, then can I go tell my family? They'd say, no, you can't go tell your family. You can't tell them goodbye. You can't put your arm around them. You can't hold your wife. You can't hold your children. You can't have anything to do with them. And everywhere you go, you must cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people will know, get away. Get away from this man. He's got leprosy. I don't want to get it from him. You sure don't want to touch him. And you don't want him to touch you. You know what leprosy is a picture of? It's a picture of sin. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're all unclean. And Jesus Christ has touched us. He's touched us with every everlasting life because he died for us and paid for our sin and rose again. And when we trust in him, he makes us clean. Well, watch what happens here. A leper came to him. Now think about this. He's coming to him. Are you supposed to get within six feet of anybody? No, you're not. I guarantee you this guy's closer than six feet. Watch. The leper came to him, and he bowed down before him, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, he really really did a couple of things there. He believed Jesus could heal him. He didn't say, if you can heal me. He said, no, if you want to heal me, you can. And he humbled himself before Jesus Christ. And notice again, then the leper came to him and bowed down and said, Lord, if, maybe you are, maybe you're not, if you are willing, you can make me clean clean. Do you know that there's only one other example that we can find in the scripture where somebody who had leprosy before this that was cleansed? And it was that guy that came, that king named Naaman who, who had leprosy and, and went and Elijah told him to go get down in the water and dip down in the, the Jordan River seven times and you'd be healed. And, and the guy went, that's a stupid thing to do. But he went and did it and he came up and he was healed. That's about the only thing we're going to see. Everybody else that we have a record of, they've not been cleansed from leprosy. And so he says to Jesus, if you, if, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to see what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 let's stand back just a little bit. He didn't do that at all. In fact, look what Jesus did. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. After he touched him, then he said, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Listen, Jesus touched him. Nobody touched lepers. You don't touch leper. You don't touch a leper. See, when others touched leprosy, they got leprosy. (laughs) When Jesus touched leprosy, they were healed. See, Jesus didn't go, I've healed you, now I can touch you. He touched him, and then he healed him. When do you think was the last time that man had ever been touched by anybody? Not by his family, not by his wife, not by his kids, not by anybody. Right then, he's healed. Now, what are you supposed to do if you're healed? Well, look what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. 
He said, don't go tell anybody because I don't want anybody to come running up here and all they want to do is get healed. I want them to know who I am. I want them to see me as the king of Israel. Now, let me just tell you, if, if, if you lived at that time and you had leprosy and you got healed, you had to go, you go to the priest. Remember, they're the ones that looked at you and said you had leprosy. And you go back to the priest and say, guess what? I don't have any leprosy. And the priest would go, really? And so they would look at you outside the camp for a while. And then if they determined that you didn't have leprosy, you took two birds, you went outside, you went over running water, you killed one of the birds, you took the blood of that bird and you put it on the second bird, and then you released the bird. It was a picture of death and resurrection because you've come back. You've come back from the dead. That's what it's a picture of. That's why when Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, that's death and resurrection. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we die with him and we rose to a new life. That's what it all is. And so here's, he says, you go to the priest and show them that you're well. I bet he ran to the priest to show them that he was well. We've been touched by Jesus Christ and cleansed from sin. And what did he do? He obeyed. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to obey. We're supposed to live by the Scripture. Well, we're just getting started. Now he's going back to, to, the, to the main place. Remember, he grew up in Nazareth, but the people in Nazareth, the last time he went there, they, they, they didn't really like him. They wanted to kill him. And so he started, and he went to Capernaum, and Capernaum is the headquarters. Capernaum is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. That's the headquarters, so look what happens. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, he goes back to the place. A centurion came to him, imploring him. Now he goes, a centurion is a Roman soldier that controlled over 100 men. Now they were the main ones. When you start talking about Roman soldiers, the most vital main leader in the Roman soldiers were always the centurions because they had 100 people under them. They had great power and authority and they were the, the go-to guys. If you needed somebody, you said, give me a centurion and then you knew you had enough men. So a centurion comes to Jesus and the word imploring really means to beg. He comes to Jesus begging. Now this guy is not Jewish. He's a Roman and he comes to Jesus. Now, what do you think he thought? Let me ask you a question. Do you think he knows who Jesus is? Do you think he thinks Jesus is the Messiah and the King? I think he does. Watch what he says. He comes to Jesus, and when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. That's what he says. My servant is fearfully tormented. And by the way, the word servant there is the Greek word for boy, little boy. Don't picture some servants or picture a young slave, somebody that, that he probably was raising. This is a young boy. And he says, my, my servant, my pathion is the Greek word, is the idea of my young boy is paralyzed at home and he's tormented. So what does Jesus say? And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Well, isn't that what you want him to say? I will come and heal him. That you say, that's really wonderful. That's the response. Now, watch what the soldier says, though. But the centurion said, Lord, 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 I, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. See, I'm not worthy because I know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Savior of the world. You're the King of the Jews. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof, but all you have to do, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come back to the house with me. You don't have to come touch my servant. You can just say it, and it'll be done. You believe that? Is your faith that good? God, all you, have to, you just know he, he didn't even have to come back to the house. 
And then he explains why he thinks that. Look what he says. For I'm a, I'm a man under authority. I'm also a man under authority. With soldiers under me. And I just say to this soldier, go. And he goes. And this one come. And he comes. And this one do this. And he does. See, I understand that I have authority from the Roman government. And if I say to somebody, you go do this, I have to do it. And I understand, Jesus, you've come from the Father. And you have his authority. And all you have to do is say it. And it'll be done. That's what he believes. He believes that Jesus has the authority from God, the Father, to do anything. And Jesus doesn't have to go there. All Jesus has to do is say it. Remember what he said? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, this isn't a Jewish person talking to Jesus. This is a Roman soldier, a Gentile, talking to Jesus. And you imagine Jesus is walking. He's already healed this leper. And there's other people with him. Probably, the, probably the, the, the 12 apostles are with him, with Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll go. And, and he turns to Jesus and says, you don't have to go. You can just say it. And Jesus looks back and look with him in verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following him, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. You know what he's saying? Listen, I, I'm, I've come to the Jews. I've come as the king of the Jews, and I don't see them believing in me the way this guy believes in me. He knows exactly who I am. What great faith this man has. So you've got to understand that Jesus was amazed at this great faith because the truth is Jesus is for all people. He's the light to the Gentiles and the glory to the nation of Israel. Now Jesus says something that confuses a lot of people. The next two verses, you have heard that we already saw last week the verse uh, that talked about, uh, you know, some of the issues about you'll know them by their fruits. And, and most of you realized last week that what you've heard about you'll know them by their fruits have nothing to do with what you've heard it said. Now this week, he's going to say something else. Listen to what he says. He says, I say to you, verse 11, that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness, into a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, you've all heard of outer darkness, and probably every one of you in this room think outer darkness is the lake of fire. It is not. Let me show you what's going on. He says, I have not found such great faith. This man, wow. And then he says this. I'll say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to understand that when Jesus starts, Christ starts the kingdom, it's called the millennial kingdom, it'll be a thousand years on this earth. At the very beginning of the kingdom is a thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the marriage supper of the Lamb is a big banquet. And people will be at the banquet. Not every believer will be at the banquet. Faithful believers will be at the banquet. Look what he says. There will be the banquet. And I say to you, people will come from the east and the west. He's really saying the Gentiles. Gentiles are going to come and they're going to recline. They're going to be at the table, the table, the eating table. That's what it is. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You realize there will be Gentiles at the table with faithful Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Faithful believers, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, are going to be at the banquet. 
Let me tell you, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It happens at the beginning of the kingdom. Let me just show you this. You know, this is where we are. Jesus died and rose again. We're in the church age. The next events, the rapture will be taken off. There'll be a seven-year tribulation. Then Jesus will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes, he will set up a kingdom. We call it the millennial kingdom because it lasts for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20 says that. At the beginning of the kingdom is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Faithful believers get to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember the ones that Jesus says, well done what? Good and faithful servant. What about the ones that he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant? Guess what? They won't be at the banquet. Watch. He says, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's talk about something just to make sure we got it. There's two things here. Sons of the kingdom and outer darkness. Who are the sons of the kingdom? Sons in the kingdom are not unbelievers. Sons of the kingdom are believers. It's only used one other time in the Bible. It's in Matthew 13, 38. Sons of the kingdom are called in that passage the believers. So some of the believers will be in the outer darkness. What's the outer darkness? The outer darkness, uh, sons of the kingdom of the believers, the outer darkness is not lake of fire, it's not hell, but it's not having the fellowship at the meal. You understand in that day and time when they had meals, people came in and they all sat there and they had their lamps and everything, but there were people who weren't invited and they were outside in the outer darkness. Outer darkness means you're left out. And there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth doesn't mean that you're in hell grinding your teeth. That means you're mad and sad because you're not at the banquet. You know why you're not at the banquet? Because you didn't live for him while you're on this earth. That's what it's all about. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. So when you see outer darkness, and by the way, outer darkness is only used three times in the Bible. It's all in the gospel of Matthew every time, and every time it's referring to missing the banquet. Notice what he says. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline, eat at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom, believers, will be cast into the outer darkness in a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping and gnashing of teeth means I'm really upset. So just remember, look it up. If you're, if you're not sure on this, look up outer darkness. It's only three places. It's all three in the Gospel of Matthew. And every time you see it, it's dealing with the marriage supper or missing out on the banquet. So what we realize is this. By faith, we have eternal life. By faithfulness, we can be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the next time you hear outer darkness, don't think of lake of fire. Think of missing the banquet. And let me tell you, if, we, if, if, if I'm not faithful... I'm going to be in the outer darkness, and I'm going to be going, I'm upset that I didn't get to be at the banquet. Right? You ever, you ever missed out on something you wanted to be at, and you go, that's not fair, I, I wanted to be there, and then you realize it was fair? Well, it's going to be fair. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with salvation. So he says, what great faith from this Gentile. Let me tell you, Gentiles are going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to sit down with the Jews at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But some of the sons of the kingdom... And it's only used one other place, and it's referring to believers. They are going to miss out. Wow. Now, let me ask you something. You want to be at the banquet or not? You don't want to miss the banquet. If you miss the banquet, you're going to be out in the outer darkness, and you're going to be weeping and gnashing and, and, and all of that because, uh, you know, I, I remember reading um, 
I think it was Ironside was teaching this passage and he talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and some lady raised her hand and he said, yes. And she said, what if you don't have teeth? And he said, teeth will be provided, you know. <laughs> so we don't know. We don't know. But anyway, wow. So, and Jesus said to the centurion, go. It shall be done for you as you have believed. Listen, you, you believed I didn't have to come. I just had to say, I said it. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So what have we seen? We've seen the leper. We've seen the, the soldier's servant. We're going to see another one. Look at verse 14. And this is Peter's mother-in-law. And look what it says. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in the bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. He touched her hand. That's all he did. He touched her. And it says, heal from the fever. Her response, what was her response? To serve, to get up and to serve him. And that's what, 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 what she did. And she, he touched her hand. Fever left her. Her response was to serve. Jesus shows his power over sickness, over disease. When we are touched by Jesus Christ, our response should be the same, and that is to serve. What are we seeing in this passage? That we are to obey and to serve. That's what we see. The leper, obey. Peter's mother-in-law, to serve. Those of us who have been touched by Jesus Christ, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, we're not through. We've got one more real quickly. Verse 16. When the evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits, wow, with a word. And he healed all who were healed. Now, if you read the Gospel of Mark, here's what you found out. That day, Jesus had taught, came down, healed a leper, uh, healed a centurion, went into the synagogue and spoke and taught. When the, and this was on a Sabbath day. When the Sabbath day, when he was through teaching, he came to the house, Peter's house, healed the mother-in-law, and then when the Sabbath had ended, which was in the evening at 6 o'clock, people were then free to move around. Remember, on the Sabbath day, you couldn't go more than a half a mile. Now the Sabbath is over. In the evening, they all hear what Jesus has done. He healed the leper, he healed, uh, leper, he healed this, he healed that. So they're all coming. If you read the Gospel of Mark, it's Mark chapter 1. If you read Mark chapter 1, huge crowd comes to the door. And I want you to understand that Jesus didn't go out and say, Thank you all for coming. You're all healed. Thank you for coming. That's not what he did. It actually says that he touched each one. Read the Gospel of Mark. It doesn't go in the same detail as Matthew. But he healed them all. And notice what it says. The evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast the spirits out with a word. And he healed all who were ill. He takes each person individually. Let me just look what, he's, look what we see. All he said was, be clean. All he said was, just a word. All he said was, it shall be done. All it says is, with just a word. That's all he has to do. And then Matthew chapter 8, verse 17 says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And this is Matthew eight seventeen is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 4. He took our sickness and our diseases. This passage, Isaiah 53, 4, is not dealing with physical healing. This passage deals with Messiah taking the sins of the world. If you ever read Isaiah 53, it's not talking about physical healing. It's talking about healing from sin. And he says this is the fulfillment because they're seeing who he is and what he can do. This passage deals with the Messiah taking the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is able not only to take our physical hurts, but he's able to take away our spiritual problem, which is sin. 
may we rejoice at the power of our King Jesus Christ, not only to heal us physically, but to heal us spiritually. So let me end with some application because I know time is up. The first one is this. Let's come to Jesus Christ for healing. He has the power to heal. And I want to do it this way. I want to say, first of all, he can heal physically. He can heal physically anytime he wants to. Anytime, you know, we people talk about it, and they sometimes we realize that when Jesus was on the earth, he healed a lot of people. Now, that's not why he came. If he came to heal people, he failed because he didn't heal everybody. He healed a lot of people, but not everybody. And Jesus can heal. If he chooses to, he can heal any of us physically, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, about anything. And that's why you let your request be made known to God. And he can do that if he chooses to. He may not, but he could. The second thing is we know that he has the power to heal us spiritually. We're all dead in sin. We're all sinful. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ died and rose again. And anybody that believes in him, we have eternal life and we are new creations in Christ. We are healed spiritually. That's what we need. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have put your faith in Christ, that you know you have eternal life, and that in a sense you've been healed spiritually because you're a new creation in Christ. The second thing is let's respond to God in obedience and service. First of all, obey the word. That's what just as he told that this leopard, look, go do what the Bible says. What does he tell us? Go do what the Bible says. And we're to live for him. And the second thing is we're to serve him. And just like Peter's mother-in-law got up, and what did she do? She served him. The Greek word there is diakonis, which means to serve. It means to stir up dust. That's what she did. She served Jesus after, after he healed her. We want to do the same thing. We want our lives to count for Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 12 is. So may all of us who have come to Christ from our healing from sin, may we be faithful to obey, may we be faithful to serve, and may we look forward, Lord willing, as we serve him today, look forward to be in the kingdom not in the outer darkness, but be in the kingdom with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others from the east and the west as we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb.